0: Check, check. Welcome, reInvent, to session IoT 220, how Fender is automating its manufacturing operations with AWS. Uh, I'm Ryan Burke. I'm a solutions architect for IoT Analytics. I'm joined today by my colleague, Michael Garcia, principal solutions architect for AWS IoT, and our friends at Fender Musical Instruments, Michael Spandau, CIO, and Mike Imes, director of global IT operations. You'll want to stick around for the end of the show. Uh, We have a special surprise, and you might even want to contact some of your friends and get them over here by the end of the show as well. Uh, In case uh, you want to see the session again or need to take off and want to see it uh, a different time later, we're gonna be giving it again uh, tonight at 7 p.m. in the Venetian. And if you want to follow up on some of the topics that we covered today, such as industrial IoT, machine learning at the edge, Uh, and how to build a successful IoT project. Here are some related breakouts that you can check out this week. Uh, So today's agenda, uh, we're gonna be reviewing the history of uh, industrial revolutions and talk about the definition of industry 4.0 and why IoT is driving customers towards industry 4.0 and the the value, the benefit that you get from that. Uh, And then we'll have a quick technical demonstration of how to use uh, some AWS services and and how to generate insights from your device data. Uh, And then we have our guests from Fender Musical Instruments join us to talk about how they are using AWS and IoT to transform their manufacturing processes.
1: All right, thank you, Ryan. So before I start diving into the the session, for this big surprise to work, uh, we need you to be closer to us. So if everyone in the back, you could come a little bit closer and switch seats uh, that would be great, and don't be shy, we don't bite. Uh, you can use the, the first uh, row seats, and uh, then you'll see at the end of the session what the surprise is about. All right, so uh, to start the, the session, what we um, wanted to uh, do is to go uh, look at the different industrial revolution that happen over time to better understand how technologies like AI and IoT, when used together, can help you in that context. And so it all started with the um, textile industry pioneering the use of uh, steam engine to create mechanized loom and create clothes. Uh, The second industrial revolution was about making an assembly line where you would have people performing a specific uh, set of tasks to create a product. And you'll see later on, uh, Fender has um, a great picture showing that in their factory. The next revolution uh, with the event of automation and computer electronics, uh, you know, enable us to use robots to perform those uh, set of tasks. And you've probably seen this picture in the uh, automotive industry where you have huge you know, assembly lines with uh, big arms robots that are picking parts in order to assemble a car. And the natural evolution of that is to connect and automate further. So those robots, they will now be able to communicate between themselves in the factory, but also be able to communicate with your back-end systems, such as CRM systems or ERP system. Additionally, they will also make use of advanced technologies like computer vision, uh, AI, machine learning, so that they can be better at their job every day with more data. Uh, So I'm going to make you do some exercise again. Uh, please raise your hand if you're in a company with manufacturing any kind of physical product. Okay, and out of those, if you know, uh, in your factory, do you think you have a mix of you know people working on packaging and machines helping them and maybe assembly line? Raise your hand as well. Okay, so I have quite a few people, and you know it's only normal because if you look at the timelines. All those revolutions, they're separated by roughly 100 years. So what that means is that it doesn't happen overnight. And today, we're just starting what we call Industry 4.0. Uh, but there will be a lot of um, implementation ongoing for the next you know, years or decades. Uh, the important part is that um, in many factories, you will, you will still have you know, humans performing some tasks. But wherever you can be helped by machines, the goal is to make those machines then much more efficient. So why are people doing it? Uh, well, I'm going to take the example of uh, Fender because it's easy to visualize with uh, guitars. But uh, every manufacturing process you know, starts with primary materials. And for a guitar, it is wood. And the quality of that primary material, it can vary over time because you will use Multiple providers and sometimes you know it's factor external factors they don't control, the quality will vary. What you don't want to vary is the quality of your product, of the, the finished good that you are manufacturing. And using devices, <coughs> sensors, and automation, you can go to a world where you can adapt to those changes in near real time and automatically instead of having to wait for you know, a longer period of time. The second one is about um, maintenance. As soon as you own physical assets, you will have to service them and maintain them. And at that game, uh, you're always losing because either you're servicing your assets too often, and then you have planned small downtime, but you're probably wasting resources, money, uh, doing some patrols and servicing assets that don't need servicing all the, every time. Or you're not doing it enough, and then your assets will break. The uh, motors, electrical engine will stop working, and then it's unplanned downtime, and it's an outage, so that's very bad. And the goal here is, again, you know, using uh, sensors to detect vibrations on motors and engines. You can now predict failure so that every time you dispatch a technician, uh, it, it has to be done. And last but not least, uh, there's this uh, trend of going from mass production, creating you know, the same object over and over again, to mass customization. And you can uh, see that, you know, I'm mentioning the uh, textile industry again, uh, you can order a suit online and have you know, customize the number of pockets, where they are, and other things. Um, having automation and devices there is a huge help because if you want to do that, you need to track every part that you have to assemble to create the finished good. And all those parts are tied to one order and one person. So you need to be able to have that to optimize you know, every day when you're dispatching the work on your factory floor to say, yes, we need to prioritize that one. And that one needs to be done by uh, this day because we're waiting on another part. You will have challenges if you want to do so. And those challenges are there in whatever you're building. If you're building a guitar, um, a car, or clothes, it's going to be there. And those are the first one is to manage software on top of the hardware of those machines, uh, because now they have to be connected. The second one is, even though they have to be connected, everything has to work in a disconnected fashion. It's still a factory. So if the internet connectivity is not available, it still has to run uh, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Now that you have this fleet of assets, you have to manage them. So for instance, how do you manage the software? How do you do your software upgrades? What happens when you want to uh, do those updates to test a new version just on a small portion of your fleet? And what happens when you want to roll out this Uh, updates um, progressively to your fleet production. You will need tooling for that. And uh, we mentioned very um, briefly using AI and analytics and advanced technology. The the trick here, it's not just to use those, is to make sure that the cycle where you collect data, you build machine learning models, thanks to the new data that are hopefully more accurate, and you deploy those to your assets in your factory, is very short, and the shorter the, the cycle is, the faster you will have uh, business benefits from it. And of course, security—you have to make sure that everything is encrypted, uh, that the whole solution, end-to-end, from the hardware in factory all the way up to your third-party application and um, enterprise application—is secured. So this is where you know AWS comes in and uh, help you to solve those uh, challenges. But uh, before I go there. Does anyone have ever heard of a IoT? Raise your hand a little bit, OK. So you know we love um, acronyms in IT, and uh, now we're officially down to the point where we're building acronyms out of other acronyms. Um, so this one actually stands for AI plus IoT, and you will see what we, we mean by that. Uh, But going back to those challenges, we have a set of device services. So those ones are the one you can deploy locally in your factory. So we have Amazon Free if you want to connect all your microcontrollers and device and machines. And you can enable local communication, thanks to AWS Greengrass, deploy a local Lambda function on it, run machine learning inference as well. And all of that work in a disconnected fashion. And then, whenever you have an internet connectivity available, you can sync the data to the cloud. You can also make use of the control services to manage your fleet and make sure you're secure at scale. You can route the data to any AWS service. And in particular, you can route it to AWS IoT analytics. This one will help you make sense of the raw data. So you'll be able to clean the data, further process it, and enrich it with all the data coming from other sources. And uh, then you can use Amazon QuickSight to create dashboard uh, easily. So you can create dashboard for your business users. You can also create dashboard for operational administrator. And uh, Ryan will demo this uh, later on. And then the last step is to send it to Amazon SageMaker, where you can build those machine learning model I keep talking about and then send all of that to the edge on AWS Greengrass so it can be executed and inferred locally. So you see now you have this virtuous cycle that is taking place. So the question now becomes, how do you get there? Remember, we said that it's not going to happen overnight. Um, So the way to look at it is more through the lens of a journey. Uh, And there, we have seen customers being very successful when they go for easy and fast wins that have a very clearly defined business outcome. It's all about the business outcome. Uh, And you start with something small, and then you can iterate over time and add-on. Don't do something too complex at first, because you need to familiarize yourself with those new technologies first. Uh, we have a session on Thursday called The uh, Anatomy of a Successful IoT Project for those who are interested in that topic and want to learn uh, a bit more. But you can start with a simple question, is do you have data already today that is sitting, you know, lying around somewhere in the database? Uh, if you have SCADA system, for instance, you probably have historian databases with a lot of telemetry data. Uh, maybe you have data in ERP systems that are entered by humans or uh, scanners. Uh, so those, you can you know, integrate with it. Uh, you can integrate your IoT platform with that. And just do analytics and machine learning in the cloud, you can already have some benefits. Then you can ask yourself, what could I do with simple devices that would be connected to augment something that is already existing in your factory? Uh, and Fender is uh, doing a project on computer vision for wood matching, so you will see that it's a great uh, illustration. And then the, the last one is probably when you will go through the cycle of like replacing the hardware assets that you already have, the machines that you already have. Could you create something, or could you have something that is natively connected to the cloud? And that will bring you know, the more security and also more flexibility. All right, so now I'm gonna hand it off to Ryan, who's going to show you the architectural schema that are matching those scenarios, and then go on with the demo.
0: Thanks, Michael. So uh, any great IoT solution is a similar, like an analogy to the human body. Uh, So we're gonna be looking at three patterns for IoT architecture, um, sensing, controlling, and learning. And so in the first case with sensing, we're talking about capturing telemetry, ingesting data into an IoT solution. And so we're gonna start off by looking at our factory. So this is what's happening uh, on the ground, on site. Uh, we have a couple of these uh, kinds of devices and categories from uh, the, the previous slide. We're talking about siloed information, that information that you already have access to. Uh, we're talking about brownfield and greenfield uh, devices. You know, How are you augmenting uh, the devices and machinery that you already have? to capture new information and make new insights uh, from that uh, that site. Um, And all of this information is gonna be coming up into the AWS cloud, might be coming into IoT Core, might be coming into Kinesis, might be going straight to IoT Analytics. Um, But in the rest of this uh, diagram, you can see we're we're streaming all of that information, we're gonna be normalizing it, we're gonna be cleaning it and enriching it uh, and creating a a data lake uh, in IoT Analytics which can then feed your notification systems uh, like Amazon CloudWatch, um, if you're setting up an operational dashboard, which I'll show later uh, in Amazon QuickSight, um, or if you need to message someone right away, uh, you might send them uh, like a text message or an email uh, over SNS. And so in the the telemetry architecture, we're we're ingesting all the data that you have access to uh, from the factory floor, um, making insights uh, in the cloud and then issuing alerts via a notification-based uh, pattern. Uh, so in this second architecture, we're gonna talk about uh, command and control. So this is what happens when your uh, your human operators are able to exert influence uh, back into the system. And so, you know, imagine if uh, you had to, in order to move your arm, right, you had to think about and, and flex every individual, you know, fiber uh, in your arm muscles. Well, that's not really scalable for the human brain, right? We just think move arm, and the arm moves. It's very, very efficient. Um, so in command and control, we talk about some of the services that help us uh, send commands and scale them out, fan them out, back to a fleet. Because in this example, you know, we have uh, you know, light bulb, thermostat, you know generic devices that are providing data to a third-party provi- third provider that can then be ingested into your AWS IoT solution. You have uh, machine execution services, SCADA systems, um, that you might need, like a, a protocol converter or an adapter. Um, you might wanna look at the new service that we just announced last night called IoT SiteWise. Um, and then we also have uh, some of the Greenfield uh, solutions with uh, AWS Greengrass and Amazon FreeRTOS. Uh, how do you get commands back down to these systems and, and you know effect change in the environment? You know, this is just one factory, right? There's just a couple icons. The actual you know, reality of this uh, diagram might be Hundreds or thousands of devices, and that could just be one factory. Now imagine if you have multiple sites uh, or factories in your business, and you get an idea of, of the scale problems that come with, uh, you know, maintaining and, and controlling an IoT solution. Um, so we have uh, tools like IoT device management, which allow you to configure jobs uh, that can uh, process commands down to the fleet. You're able to, you know, run queries. Uh, you know, I wanna know about all the devices that are running a certain firmware version that are located in you know, X, Y, and Z geographical region, and get that report and say, okay, great, yeah, these devices I know are, are out of sync with the latest firmware. Now I'm gonna create a new job to go update just those devices. So command and control, the ability to, to automate what are traditionally manual processes uh, and improve those uh, operational efficiencies. And then last but not least, we have the brain. It's our greatest asset. It allows us to process and ingest vast quantities of data and make decisions very quickly. Uh, It also gives us the capability to learn. And so machine learning is a a very powerful capability in any IoT solution where you're able to translate uh, all this raw data that you're getting from a system, uh, generate some kind of machine learning model, and then use that model uh, both in the cloud and also back down at the edge Uh, to leverage that expertise and those insights that you've gained uh, to make decisions very quickly uh, on the factory floor here. And so in this uh, situation we have, again, we have our factory and cloud uh, diagrams. Um, As we send a lot of that raw data to uh, IoT analytics from IoT Core, uh, we're able to then uh, clean and enrich that data and make it readily available for uh, Amazon SageMaker, uh, which when you have clean processed data is very easy to generate um, a machine learning model, uh, which we can then deploy uh, as a, like an API endpoint in the cloud, but also uh, back down to AWS Greengrass using their machine learning inference uh, technology. And so when you generate that model from all the great data that you have in the cloud, you're able to push that model back down to the edge and you don't have to send you know, every uh, piece of data to the cloud in order, just in order to make use of that machine learning model. You have that power uh, down there at the, at the edge as well. And so I'm gonna be going through a a technical demonstration uh, showing you how some of these pieces fit together for the machine learning case and also the operational insights case. Uh, So here we have uh, Amazon QuickSight, which is a tool for building uh, dashboarding capabilities uh, from the data that we're able to ingest and aggregate in IoT analytics. Uh, And so in this example, I have um, just like a made up company, this is a mock production account. They have three factories around the world where they are generating uh, cogs in these factories. Um, And I have uh, simulated data coming from the IoT device simulator, which is a solution that we offer, um, which are generating metrics and telemetry for for, four properties. So we're capturing uh, oil pressure coming from machinery, We're capturing the uh, environmental temperature and humidity, and then we're also looking at the vibration coming off of those devices. And so in this operational dashboard, what we have here is we're taking a look at the oil pressure uh, of all of those uh, simulated devices across my three factories. And so I have factories here simulated in Denver, Berlin, and Shanghai. And so what we're able to get out of uh, combining IoT analytics with QuickSight is we have this very quick um, means to look at uh, all of the measurements of unhealthy oil pressure across those three factories. We're able to sum over a certain period of time the number of times that a certain device has emitted uh, what's considered an unhealthy oil pressure. And we can very quickly summarize across uh, our global picture here um, which of those devices have been reporting the most or most frequent uh, unhealthy oil pressure. <coughs> and so each uh, uh, you know color box with a, with a hash ID is like one of my uh, simulated devices, it's like a unique ID. And then the, the number next to it is the quantity in this period, which I think looks at every 15 minutes um, and tells me how many unhealthy oil pressure measurements were made. And so this gives your human operators a very quick uh, way to uh, triage operational issues uh, on the manufacturing floor. Um, there's a couple different ways to look at this information. So, you know, we We're looking at it by uh, geographical information here. We're able to plot even each individual device's um, oil pressure uh, by ID here, or some, uh, or uh, sorry, look at an average of each uh, device as well, and it's very easy to see some of the outliers. Um, so I've, I've configured in my device simulator, you know, uh, the, the majority of those simulations are operating on a healthy profile, and then I have seeded a couple uh, unhealthy profiles that are operating you know, outside my, my norms, and so it's very easy to see uh, in this uh, solution you know, where some of those devices are operating clearly outside of the, the fleet average. Um, And then when we talk about uh, machine learning capabilities, Um, one of the great offerings from AWS is that we have Amazon SageMaker. Amazon SageMaker allows us to to host uh, Jupyter notebooks in notebook instances. Uh, A Jupyter notebook as a Python runtime environment allows us to uh, combine uh, markdown and code uh, to generate uh, machine learning models. And so with uh, AWS IoT analytics, uh, we provide six um, notebook templates uh, to use with your IoT analytics data that don't require any additional coding. Like you just deploy the template notebook into the notebook instance. This is exactly what you get here. Uh, all I had to do was uh, update you know, a couple of these fields to represent the data that I have coming from my, my solution and my IoT analytics data set. So in this case, or oh, sorry, in the previous case, we were looking at uh, oil pressure, right? And so I had uh, values that were being emit that were outside of a, a known uh, healthy threshold. Uh, in this example, uh, we're gonna be looking at how machine learning can help us identify anomalies, contextual anomalies, using the vibration data that I'm simulating. And so in this simulation, uh, I have devices that are emitting uh, vibration between zero and 10 uh, millimeters per second squared. Um, but I also have a couple devices that are consistently only emitting vibration between eight and 10. So it's still within that zero to 10 range. It wouldn't show up on a operational dashboard uh, you know, like this. They wouldn't really stand out as uh, outliers. Um, so we're gonna use a machine learning model to understand when we have those devices operating kind of at that high uh, high vibration range. And so again, all of this code comes out of box with the, uh, the template. Um, you can configure some of the uh, algorithm parameters here. Um, And then the output of this uh, notebook here is we have this pretty graph that tells us everything that we need to know. So what this notebook does is it's calculating a (coughs) probabilistic exponential weighted moving average. Um, And so in the graph here, what we can see in dark blue, kind of the the furthest back uh, uh, series here, is all the raw data that we're getting from our entire fleet of devices. And so this is the vibration as we're measuring it from uh, zero to 10 from our simulated devices. In orange, uh, we have the uh, exponential moving uh, average that we're calculating from the code provided by this uh, this notebook template. And so you can see, you know, on, on average, uh, most of our devices are kind of averaging between that two and a half and seven and a half range. Now, what the uh, algorithm also does is that after it calculates that moving average, it goes back and analyzes all of the devices to say, hey, which of those devices are consistently operating outside of that moving average. And then it plots those in red here. Um, so what I'm able to determine, uh, just from all the, the raw data, I'm able to find those uh, anomalies that I would not be able to detect by myself. As you know, if I'm just a human operator looking at a dashboard, there's no way I would figure out that some of these devices are consistently operating in that eight to 10 range. This might indicate, you know, an, an unhealthy, uh, some unhealthy machinery that might need to be serviced. Um, and uh, Using this tool, we're able to generate a list of those uh, device IDs um, for either cutting a ticket um, or generating a report that gets emailed every day, something like that, uh, or emitting those metrics to something like CloudWatch, which I can then put an alarm on and then know, know, every time that this notebook runs, hey, we found five devices or six devices that uh, generated some contextual anomalies. That means that I have some uh, some work I need to go do, right? And so where does all this data come from? Well, uh, in IoT analytics, again, we're collecting data from a variety of sources, can be coming up from IoT Core, which is aggregating data from anywhere in your uh, your factory network for devices that are uh, AWS aware. Um, All that information is coming into a channel or being put into a channel by another process, uh, invoking an API. Um, And the channel holds all the raw data, right? It holds all the the device data, that uh, humidity, the, the vibration, the oil pressure. Um, This information then moves into a pipeline Uh, A Pipeline is where we can clean and enrich And process uh, the data So if there's any uh, outliers that we know are obvious noise and just want to throw those out They won't make it into our uh, final processed data store If we want to bring in other information From a third party solution um, uh, And kind of uh, join that data in flight As it moves through uh, our pipeline We can do that as well Uh, And then our data store is where where we put our our clean, our processed data, and it's from that data store, uh, stored as a time series uh, data store, where we can uh, write queries to uh, get cross sections and slice, slice that data out. So here I have a, a data set, um, it's a SQL query where I am cutting information from that data store, uh, making a, like a CSV package out of it, and then that's what's being imported into my, uh, my notebook here uh, at the very beginning, some code that's provided uh, again out of box here. Um, and then also being ingested uh, with our integration with uh, Amazon QuickSight. Um, so once we have a, a machine learning model from uh, the notebook, how do we deploy it back down to Greengrass? Um, so like I said, Greengrass is uh, your, uh, your man on the, on the edge there. Uh, we have a machine learning inference capability uh, baked in. Uh, so it's just as easy to come in here, uh, choose one of your machine learning models that you've built uh, in your notebook with uh, Amazon SageMaker, uh, and then pair that with a Lambda function that knows hey you know, knows how to reference that uh, machine learning model. Um, it's going to take data in being processed by the local edge uh, system there, uh, make an inference based on you know if this is uh, you know inside or outside of that moving average that we calculated, and then report something back uh, to the local uh, environment here. Um, and just give this a quick name. And so that's all we have to do is we've uh, now added a machine learning uh, model to our Greengrass group and then I would just redeploy this and then whatever topic that this is listening to in your Greengrass configuration, will run new data across that uh, machine learning model and tell you you if it's inside or outside of that that moving average. And so that concludes our demo. And then from there, I'm gonna hand it off to our friends at uh, Fender Musical Instruments.
2: Hey Ryan, thanks for the great introduction here. My name is Michael Spando and I'm the CIO uh, from Fender Musical Instruments and I'll be co-presenting with Mike Imes who's our director uh, in, in the IT organization and Mike has worked for how many years? 31. 31 years at, at Fender in the manufacturing facility so he knows the place inside out. Guys, before we get started here, we really have something very, very special for you guys at the end. So you better get your buddies in here, text them, have them come running over here, join the party, because we have something very special. And again, if you want to just kind of move a little bit closer here, that would be very helpful too. And do not leave before we end. So um, so you, you might be really wondering, why on earth? What what would Fender do? Very often, I get the question, "What does Fender do with with AWS?" And um, but before I get uh, before we start talking about this, I want to talk a little bit about how how Leo Fender basically created the guitar. So in 1938, um, Leo Fender, a son of German immigrants, I, I had to mention that, started his own repair shop and called it the Fender Radio um, Service. And musicians, this was in Fullerton, California, musicians would come to him and basically ask him for public um, announcement, public address systems. So it was all about amplification and basically the ability to to hear a a band at that time. And he basically built those and sold them and repaired them. So uh, on a warm summer day uh, in 1943, um, Leo set up a, um, uh, the lightning and the microphone system for a war bond dance, again in Fullerton, California, um, where they were mostly playing big band um, music. And he discovered something really interesting. What he discovered was you couldn't really hear the guitar players. They were playing like crazy, but you just couldn't hear them because of the lack of amplification. So the next day, he got some drafting papers out, and he basically designed the solid-body guitar with electrical pickups. Um, initially, the feedback was that these guitars looked like boat paddles, but several iterations later, he introduced the um, the guitar at that time called the Broadcaster. Now, the Broadcaster. He ran into a um, a naming issue with with Gretsch. He basically uh, renamed the broadcaster to the Telecaster. And mass production started in 1951. The same time, he also introduced the precision bass. And then three years later, um, he introduced the Stratocaster. And guys, these these instruments were truly blessed by an angel. If you think about it, they are, to to this date, our number one selling guitars. So that's quite that's quite something. Um, another thing I'd like to share with you, uh, would like to share with you, is just the fact that a lot of our amplifiers are still built with tubes, tube technology. And I love sharing that with IT guys. You know, we live in a world of bits and bytes, and you know, here's a here's something that we just can't replace. We can't replace those that warm signal, those analog signals, with all the technology we have available. Um, this was the first factory that uh, Leo founded, in, again in Fullerton, California. And today we run two factories, one in uh, Corona, California, and one in Ensenada, Mexico. And we use modern systems there. You see CNC machines, some paint roboters. We run a complex SAP ERP system. And we have a number of dashboards, which we'll be talking about a little bit later, um, that provide real-time information. With that, I'm gonna hand it over to Mike Imes. And again, guys, are you getting all your buddies in here? Because (laughs) they wanna be here uh, to talk about some of the use cases.
3: Wonderful, thank you, Michael. Cool, so we're gonna cover just a few things. Fender just uh, very recently started down the path of IoT Uh, with some of these projects, just as recent as about four months ago. So it is quite new to us. So these are uh, initial iterations, but uh, we're expanding quickly. So some of the things we'll talk about today, um, IoT buttons that we're using to trigger Kanban replenishments, uh, IoT buttons for process management and requests. And then we're doing some interesting things with machine learning uh, in regards to uh, wood matching and uh, quality assurance. So we'll get right into it. We'll talk about Kanban replenishment. So um, as far as Kanban replenishment is concerned, our our goal was to make things a little easier for the production workers to to make requests. Most of our folks on the production floor don't have computers and and, uh, email accounts and things of that nature. So when it comes to making a request, it can be kind of cumbersome to have to track down a supervisor or make a phone call or what have you. So on top of that, we're we're using these IoT buttons to trigger those requests then uh, for the uh, material uh, replenishments. And uh, again, we wanted to make it quite simple uh, for the user community there. So here's one of our implementations in regards to Kanban. So here we've got a couple buttons deployed. These are um, associated with the, the part number there, which is body spreads, which is our raw material for guitar bodies. So each one of these buttons is specifically associated with that location and that raw material. So when, and you know, when the material is depleted. Uh, The user then presses that button to to trigger a request to our materials guys over in our warehouse, which is in a different building kind of across the parking lot. So this is the dashboard that we use to get that request out to the warehouse environment. So we've got two of these deployed, one where we have the the raw materials that we just saw there on the racks, and then a replica of it over in the wood warehouse. So this shows the, the part number the description, the location, and the time the request was placed. So the cool thing about this is um, the notification, you know, gets placed. The raw materials are gathered from the warehouse. They come back, deliver it, and then they give a double click to that button to clear the uh, the dashboard and mark it as processed or complete. So Michael, do you want to talk about?
2: Absolutely. And um, what I want to mention here again, which is. We, we run an SAP system, an ERP system, and typically some of these processes you would do directly in your ERP system. We decided to, to basically use uh, AWS services because we were very attracted by, by, by this very simple uh, button, um, uh, AWS IoT button. and We literally spun this up, I think in two or three weeks, we had this up and running. So uh, from a design perspective, uh, we connect the AWS IoT button to AWS IoT one-click, which triggers a Lambda platform. Uh, we are big, big big believers in Lambda. We love Lambda, no more patching, no more maintenance, no more being super concerned about security. Um, this Lambda function basically persists the data to um, Amazon DynamoDB, and uh, basically also triggers at the same time. Uh, via pusher and notification to a dashboard, which we have deployed at various stations within our warehouse. And then that signal basically triggers an update on the dashboard, the worker sees it, and basically takes, uh, takes action. Again, the key point here is it took us about two, three weeks to get this up and running, and it, it, it has been the adoption rate has been very, very high. There was no, no ERP training. No logging issues. It's a very straightforward, very easy, very practical, very repeatable solution.
3: Thank you, Michael. So, the next phase, uh, we're using buttons again for some process management. So, here, uh, we're looking to replace inefficient systems, um, you know, sharpies and masking tape and things of that nature, trying to eliminate that and get the real time data in front of folks on an easy to read dashboard uh, for the most part. So this is an interesting one. So here you see we've got a, a couple carts of guitars. And uh, in this area, um, we've got a couple critical timers that we have to, uh, to process here for um, wood curing and uh, glue drying. So what we've done here is we've deployed buttons, two buttons on each of the carts. And uh, these, again, um, excuse me. The photo on the left uh, shows one of the buttons deployed, which is for operation two, which is the glue uh, cure process. So when uh, the mill worker comes into the room, the bodies are glued, it needs to set for about two days. Uh, They hit the button, it triggers that timer. The dashboard that I'll show you on the next slide is there pictured on the the rack that uh, does show the timers Uh, for the folks so as they push the buttons they get immediate feedback that the timers begun uh, and they move forward so here uh, you can see the uh, the the dashboard that we developed so this is installed in the conditioning room again where the carts reside but this data is now available to anybody on our networks so all the supervisors and leads and the groups that are responsible for their production here all have visibility of this as well so here you can see all 10 carts listed they're all numbered and color coded, again, to keep it kind of visual. And you can see the different status um, symbols here. So we've got idle and ready and in progress. So idle meaning it's not in use, it's not currently being used, obviously. In progress, you'll see a timer that is counting down. In this example, on the bottom part of the screen, operation two, you see cart two has about 43 minutes left in its glue drying process. So what happens here is once the, the cart timers Deplo- deplete, uh, in the example here, the two carts on the uh, the top part of the screen, cart three and four. The mill workers see those are ready, they go in, they double press the button, set it back to idle, and then move on to the next operation. So, Michael, you wanna talk about the architecture?
2: So again, it's a very, very, from my point of view, a very simple, a very basic pattern here that we have deployed, and extremely cost-effective, because the alternatives would be probably implementing some sort of industrial um, sy- um, uh, system system um, to, to, to provide this. Um, we have, I mentioned the buttons earlier. Uh, the, the one difference we have here is basically a Lambda function that uh, tri- is being triggered via an event uh, every so often, which basically checks the time if the curing process has been completed and uh, if that's the case, it basically submits a, um, a trigger to to the dashboard and or to, uh, to a messaging system. The other thing that um, Mike uh, didn't mention was that we are also implementing um, temperature sensors. So as you can imagine with wood, uh, temperature and humidity has a huge impact on us. So at the same time, we are tracking those two. So we partnered. We're using iMonit, who's a. Um, AWS partner. Um, to um, we have their sensors basically installed in these in these individual cards, okay? and we build an API to, to those sensors, um, and we we persist that temperature information, and we uh, make that available on on the dashboards too. So the next step for us we we haven't done this yet. We're going to basically implement what Ryan was basically. Uh, presenting earlier where we want to see exceptions and uh, trigger automatic alerts.
3: Cool, thanks, Michael. So again, back to buttons. Um, We we use them for manufacturing support requests as well. So again, replacing inefficient communications mechanisms and providing, again, real-time awareness for the leadership teams when requests are made for support or materials. And uh, in this instance, we're actually sending these triggers over into Slack, which our user community uses so they can get their messages not only on their desktop, but on their smartphones and things of that nature throughout. And again, goals to make it quite easy to use. So here's a good example of uh, in our production areas. Again, uh, folks don't have computers. Many of them don't uh, or email. And we wanted a way to empower them to make these requests without having to track down a supervisor or a lead or something along those lines. So the buttons deployed here trigger a Slack channel message. Depending upon the button, you can see the examples here. Uh, The one on the bottom is a mill support notification. So we've got these associated with our machinery out in our mill department. When and if there's a problem with that piece of equipment, they hit the button and it triggers a request into Slack that our uh, support engineers and maintenance team are, are enrolled in, and they then react and go out and address the issue uh, accordingly. It's been quite useful for us, and it's really improved our, our, uh, our speed to service, so to speak, uh, for those folks. So again, Michael, quick one on architecture. So. Really
2: basic architecture here. We're basically connecting an IoT button to a Slack channel. And as simple as the sounds, it's really an elegant solution. No more ERP work. I mean, this would take us quite some time to put in place. No more logging into ERP systems. Automatic dashboarding, much more visibility, and using a really excellent communication tool such as Slack which is also our messaging tool that we use on, on a global level. So we're deploying Slack out to, to, to the factories and it's, it's, it's having a huge impact. The time to implement this, I would argue anyone who has good Amazon um, cloud experience can do this in, in a few days.
3: Cool, so our last topic is kind of a fun one. So uh, it's wood matching quality assurance. So um, we're we're just beginning to develop this solution. So let me start at least by kind of filling you in on our current process and explain the the problem that we're trying to solve. So quick one before we get into that. If you're not a guitar player, I don't want to familiarize you with uh, something in regards to wood. So we're we're searching for um, pieces of wood that we can glue together that you kind of want it to look like one piece of wood. You don't want it to look like you've got multiple pieces glued. Um, so that's, that's kind of the goal. And if, if they don't look visually pleasing together, that guitar is gonna be painted black or white or red or you know a solid color. So we've got about 40% of our guitars that need to be transparent. So our goal is to try and figure out a way to get more output from our machinery here as far as visually pleasing pieces of wood that we can glue together and spray with a transparent finish. So again, our guitar bodies are made of multiple pieces of wood. They're glued together. We call it a body spread uh, in the grand scheme of things. And our process starts with raw lumber, similar to what you see here in this picture. And uh, we sort and then glue these together to make these body spreads. So the machine picture here kind of helps with that process. So what it does, you load the raw lumber up and it takes a photo of the wood and it uh, evaluates the color, the grain to some degree, and the width of the wood. So the output that we're trying to get, we're looking to get a piece of wood you know, three or four pieces put together to equal about 14 half to 15 half inches wide and that match from a color perspective to some degree so we can paint it a translucent color. Now, the struggle here is this machine's kind of older technology and it doesn't do a very good job with that. So the output that we get is hit or miss at times, and it makes it difficult on our quality assurance teams to really evaluate and get good examples of, of sunburst quality uh, spreads uh, once it's all said and done. So here's a great example of uh, one of those bad outputs. You can see towards the top, the color match is horrible, right? And then down towards the bottom, you see the grain match. It, it looks like four pieces of wood. So if we paint that in a sunburst or translucent color, you're going to hate it. Now, it's going to sound great still, but it doesn't look very good. So again, uh, it's a very clear example of a bad example of um, you know, b- body matching anyway. And when we get the right match together, it almost looks like one piece of wood. So the example on the left is that raw lumber, and that's that's a two-piece spread. And it translates then to the right, the instrument, and it looks beautiful. You know, it, it's, it looks like it was meant to be, uh, as far as the sunburst is concerned. So it's it's easy to figure out when the match is perfect, but there's a lot of gray area in between there. So that's where um, the fun begins, so to speak. So. You know, we've been working with the AWS team uh, to help develop an automated system with us that can help us evaluate the output from this machine that we currently use to at least kind of eliminate the human element of evaluating that body spread as far as the wood match is concerned. So I've shown some really good examples of really bad and, and really good, but again, that gray area in between is what becomes difficult because if the inspector's having a bad day you know he might just reject everything and what we want is consistency so we've been working with amazon to to help us build a solution whoops sorry michael i went too far so we're trying to improve the the yield obviously of of our output here of our glued body spreads and the consistent uh, interpretation of our quality assurance um uh, criteria and then reduce rework due to reclassification. So what winds up happening is the body spread will get graded as sunburst. It'll make its way through into paint, and then it'll get rejected because it doesn't look good together. Somebody misdiagnosed it, so to speak, at the beginning of the process. So we're trying to eliminate that to some degree, and again, we're looking for an easy solution, something that's easy to use. So our project's just begun. We're in the data gathering and kind of initial development phase. So we've been working in tandem with a team of folks from AWS to identify you know, the problems that we're trying to solve and then develop a system that we can deploy into our production areas. So we've, uh, we've currently taken about 1,000 photos to help start training this system um, that's currently using computer vision and we're, we're working into machine learning as well. Um, and the model's being built. Uh, we're hoping to do some initial testing with it uh, next week if we're lucky. And it looks very promising, it's, it's gonna be slick. And again, to eliminate the human element out of it and just make it black or white uh, is kind of the goal here for us.
2: Whoops. Mike, you, yeah. oops. I'm
3: sorry, there you go. There we go, mm-hmm.
2: cool. You might wanna mention why we glue these woods together. What's the reason for doing well, it? Well,
3: so uh, you can't just use one big piece of wood. And what'll wind up happening is it'll warp. So you need multiple pieces to, um, to strengthen the wood and, and give some stability for that matter. So again, the, the two or three piece, or in some instances, four pieces, um, you know, it doesn't affect the tone of the wood. It just gives you greater stability is what we're shooting for.
2: So this is a solution that takes a little bit more time setting up. Um, Mike kind of alluded to it. We have taken more than 1,000 bad pictures. <laughs> so, pictures of bad samples, which are really not bad samples, we just use them for solid paint, and then thousand pictures of good samples for transparent colors, okay? And together with the Amazon experts, uh, we're basically now training, training the system. So we're loading that into SageMaker, and, um, and the results look very, very promising. And we think we can basically do without, do without an inspector, which is, guys, a really big deal to us because when it comes to, it's very subjective. And it's, 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 it's by no means a binary decision whether, there's, whether it belongs on this pile or that pile. So just even understanding the thought process that the inspector goes through in determining which one it is, is, is very difficult. So, how do we do this? Um, we basically have a camera um, that uh, takes pictures. Um, it's connected to Raspberry Pi. And this camera, based via an uh, API uh, Lambda function, sends that information um, to, uh, to uh, Amazon SageMaker. And we also uh, persist the image. Uh, Amazon SageMaker analyzes the, the image, determines whether it's on pile A or pile B, uh, via certain thresholds and sends that response back to, to a dashboard um, to the person who's basically sorting the wood from on um, either pile A or pile B. And again, it's looking very promising and we hope that within the next few days we will be able to put this into production.
3: And the goal is that evaluation needs to take place in just a few seconds because we don't have the footprint in the factory to stack a bunch of pieces of wood and wait for a system to make that judgment. So it's got to be within five seconds or so. So that's one of our other goals with this uh, development.
2: So that's the end of our use cases. I hope (laughs) you found them interesting. Um, I sometimes wonder what Leo would do with all these, cloud tools that are now available maybe he would be building a thread in the cloud i mean who knows <laughs> so uh we're coming to the end of our session and here's the big surprise um if every if every one of you could just check whether you have an envelope under your chairs Could
1: it's not under your chair. Look at your neighbor's chair, the one that are empty. So now you understand what we try to <laughs> have you gathered all in the same place. Small coom. Oh,
3: oh. oh. we got a winner. Yes. Oh. oh nice. nice. OK, do you, okay, you want to come, come on, up come front? On up. <laughs> so. <laughs>
2: What's your name? Tolsten. From Germany. From Germany. Nice. Okay. So <laughs> Torsten. <laughs> okay. And we can speak German. Tolsten <laughs> is the happy winner of this beautiful. Mike, explain it to us. Yeah, it's
3: a great telecaster. It's a U.S.-made telly that we did specifically, obviously, with the logos for the uh, for the day here. The worst of it is now you have to carry it around the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Wow, guys, that's a, that's a real surprise. Beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You can keep that. There's guitar picks in pick. there oh, and Dan, okay. what have you. I've got a bag for you as well for this. All right. You're, <laughs> You're very welcome. All right. Thanks for coming. You want to carry that on, don't you? <laughs> <care. laughs> That's true. So thanks, everyone, for your uh, attention.
1: Thank you as well, you know, Michael mm-hmm. and uh, Mike, for, for the session. Very it was welcome. very enlightening to see how you use you know, computer vision, AI technology, and IoT technologies to automate um, you know, your process. Uh, so, again, there's going to be a repeat uh, tonight. Uh, I think it's at 7 p.m. I think that's uh, correct. You, you should tell your friends to go to the one at 7 p.m., yes. And you can come again to the one at 7 p.m. Uh, and last thing to tell is, uh, please fill out the survey as well using the, uh, the app. It's uh, great for us to have feedback and to continue to improve. And uh, we hope to maybe see you again tonight or see your friends tonight as well. Thank you very Thank much. You.